Before we get rolling into today's podcast, I want to tell you about our awesome sponsors that uh, keep this thing free for you guys. So first we have DuckSeason.com. That's D-U-K-S-Z-N.com. Go on there. Check it out. Uh, You can get signed up for uh, Traded Hunts where you put in your location, the kind of birds you're after, you know, the type of things that you do. And uh, you can search around on there, see other people, their areas, what they go after, and you can talk with each other and get linked up and trade hunts with each other. So rather than hiring an outfitter or a guide, if you're on a budget or kind of want to do a little bit of a DIY thing, you can get linked up with some people, go hunt their area, they come out and hunt in your area. It's a really cool thing. Also on there, there's some forums, you know, duck hunting, waterfowl hunting in general, different tips and advice, things like that. And they also have a lot of merchandise, really cool stuff. And in their merchandise, they have the Salty Fowl line of clothing, where 100% of the profits from that go to uh, Eider Research out there on the coast. So really cool cause. Go check it out. Go buy some stuff. Get on some trade hunts. You definitely won't regret it. Next, we have Steady Wing Outfitters. That's Mikey Soberano. He's up there in northeast Kansas, and he uh, specializes in waterfowl, turkey, and deer. You can check him out on Instagram at Steady Wing Outfitters. Uh, and if you want to book a hunt, you can give him a call. His number is 785-410-2304. Next, we have 701 Pursuit. They're over there in North Dakota. They're making a bunch of awesome hunting and fishing content. It's on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all of the places. Go check them out for some high-quality stuff. They also have a website with some merchandise and other things on it. Uh, The website is 701pursuit.com. That's the numbers, 701pursuit.com. So check them out, all the places that you have social media. They're on there somewhere. Next, we have Bulldog Baits. It's over there in western Oklahoma. Uh, They're making crankbaits, jigs, soft plastic, spoons, jig heads, sinkers, anything you need for fishing. They've got it. So you can check them out on uh, Instagram. It's bulldog underscore baits. And if you want to go on their website to order some stuff, it's bulldog-baits.square.site. So if you're needing anything, definitely, definitely go check them out. Also, on the same note, we have Stump Thumper Baits. Their website is stumpthumperbaits.com. They also have soft plastics, jigs, all that type of stuff. Want to check them out too on Instagram. Their handle is at stumpthumperbaits. They're also Facebook, anywhere else. Now we have Waylon Johnson and his guide service. He's over in the San Antonio area. Uh, he's hunting ducks, geese, anything waterfowl you guys want to get on over there down in Texas. You can give him a call at 361-494-7868. You can also find him on Facebook. Uh, his name is just Waylon Johnson. See what he's been up to. Check out the cool birds down there. All that good stuff. And lastly, we have my dog training business up here in Northeast Montana. I specialize in retrievers, but I train all sorts, basic obedience, force fetch, waterfowl upland, anything you're looking to get done with your dog, I can help you out with. Um, You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, all the normal places. It's H-I-L-I-N-E, retrievers. And then if you're looking for some advice or looking to uh, get set up with some training, give me a call. My number is 406 783-7083. Thanks a lot. Thanks to our sponsors. Go check them all out and enjoy the show.
shotguns singing a pointing dog down in the old logging road and then he got three and looked back grinning I fumbled around and I tried to reload the country was cold all right welcome to the woods and water podcast this is Garrett today I have chase with me and then Chris and Schaefer from the Broken Arrow Podcast. Uh, why don't you guys introduce yourselves for the people that haven't heard of you? You're up, you Schaefer. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, let's see. Schaefer Magnet. Uh, I guess I'm on the Broken Arrow Podcast. It's weird being on this side of the conversation. I don't know. What would you like to know? That's the question. We're not very good at intros. That's a thing that's uh, well, ongoing on our podcast. Yeah, his dad's been busting our ass about it for a long time. <laughs> Tell us where you're at, where you're from. Oh, that's a, that's a good and what do you piece do? of information. Uh, I'm from Vermont, the Colchester area, which is unfortunately close to Burlington, if you're familiar with Vermont. Uh, not a lot of deer up here. I try to hunt anyways with the old bow. It's the only weapon I use. So, uh, you know, not a, lot of, not a lot of animals on the ground, but it's fun. Is that me? All right, uh, my name is Chris Seacole. I'm from northeastern Pennsylvania. Everybody knows where Scranton is. I'm not not far from there. Um, he lives right next to Dwight. Yeah, yeah, me and Dwight Chu hang out. Um, let's see, I uh, big big traditional bow hunter and uh, a uh, big flintlock hunter. We have uh, a a late flintlock season here in Pennsylvania that I thoroughly enjoy. Yeah, we just got a late season traditional hunt here in Montana that goes after Thanksgiving into December a little bit. And oh, you yeah, have to cool. use a traditional, it doesn't have to be flintlock, but it has to be traditional where it's on the side. It can't be in line. Cap lock or flintlock, yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of opened up a little extra hunting. Montana already has too much hunting. Shoot, I can hunt from September to December now for That's big awesome. game, which is awesome, but also doesn't our, help us a lot with management control our uh, our our season in pa our, well, our our archery season in pa is from usually like last week in uh, september first week in october to mid-november and then like right before thanksgiving like mid-november our uh, our rifle season takes off and that lasts about two weeks and then everything kind of closes and then the day after the first legal day so in pennsylvania we can't hunt sundays but the first legal day, so be it a Saturday or Monday or whatever, any day it's not Sunday, is when the flintlock season starts, and that goes until Martin Luther King Day. So that's like most of January, like half of January. And it's awesome because it's, it's in Pennsylvania. It's pretty cold by that time. We have, usually have some snow on the ground, and nobody's in the woods. So the, the whitetails are a little peaked, man. They're, they're pretty uh, skittish by that time from being shot at with rifles. But it's, it's a good time. It's a lot of fun. So it's That's funny, ancient. Idaho has a law that you're not allowed to hunt on Sundays either, but no one listens to it. Ah, uh, dude, it's blue laws. There, we, we used to have one. We couldn't buy beer or liquor on Sundays until about, I think maybe 10 years ago, they finally got rid of that one. But we're still, we're still brawling with the, the Sunday hunting thing. It's, um, I think uh, right now we're at three, three Sundays, three Sundays a year. So we have one Sunday for archery season. We're allowed to hunt one Sunday for rifle bear season and one season for rifle deer season. So, and, and they're not in a hurry to change it. It kind of sucks, but, uh, it'd be nice to have that option. Cause I mean, you know, how many Saturdays you wake up, it's pouring rain. 
we get two days off a week. How many it's people just, work Monday through Saturday? How many people work? Yeah, it's just it's it's just it's crap, but that's typical when you're run by those people. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of people are you referring to? What are you trying to get at? Uh, they're called Democrats. Oh. <laughs> Never heard of them. US. US. Yeah. Uh, I'm surrounded by them here. But yeah, that that's uh that's my story. Hmm. So I kind of missed most of that because I was running the show off at Furnace, so we didn't just hear a bunch of humming in the background. Did you say how you got started in the outdoors and stuff? Uh, well, I, I've been a lifelong hunter. I uh, I started. I think I think in Pennsylvania, where at the time when I was 13 years old, I think is when we could first take our hunter safety course, and that was the first year I hunted. And I always hunted with a rifle up until I don't know. I spent some I spent some time in Colorado for about three years, in my early 20s. And, uh, I probably didn't hunt those three years, which is stupid. Cause I probably could have hunted elk and all kinds of good stuff. And I didn't, um, I was more into fishing and stuff like that. So I did a lot of fly fishing out there and stuff, but, um, I think around thirties when I got introduced to archery and I'd al- always had like kind of an interest in archery, but just couldn't afford a bow or whatever. And, uh, when I was 30 years old, I, I, I think I kind of forgot about it by that time. And my brother was moving out to Arizona and he, uh, he gave me a Ted Nugent Gonzo Safari Martin <laughs> compound bow. It was freaking awesome. I shot it all summer. I was totally addicted to it. And uh, did you get the zebra ended, arrows with it for free or what? I did not. No, I was shooting game getters out of it. Mm. But uh, like, it, it got me fired up to to get back into hunting. So I had probably like a three or four year time period where, jeez, me, it was longer than that. Uh, I didn't hunt. And or I, I only hunt small game. We we hunt a lot of ra- rabbits. My buddy had some beagles, and we'd run rabbits all all winter long. But I got away from like whitetails and stuff. Um, so it got me kind of full bore wanting to hunt whitetails again. And uh, right before the season started, of course, I nuked that bow and had to buy a new one. Naturally, uh, yeah, the limbs gave out. But um, I hunted up until I was thirty eight, I think, or thirty nine, and. Uh, I, it was, geez, it was 2017. I shot a, a, a doe, and 45 minutes later, I shot a really nice eight-pointer with my compound. And I was just like, next year, I got to make this more difficult. I had a recurve at that point I'd been messing around with, and I was like, I'm going to change this up. And I did. My, my first year was kind of a, a sham. I had some medical issues, and I didn't get to hunt much. And then uh, my second year, I got a shot on an eight pointer that I shot right underneath them completely missed them, but it was probably the greatest moment of my hunting career at that it was just, it was amazing. And then, uh, in 2020, I, I got my first buck down and with, with the recurve and it was my biggest one to date. And after that, it's just, it was over and it's just kind of snowballed from there. I've, I've, I've been successful every year. I got, well, I've since then I've, I have three buck down with, with a recurve and it's just, it's, I'm addicted. And I went down the wormhole some more. I got got into wood arrow building and really got into that. And it just it seems to escalate every year. It so does very you, quickly. Yeah, you get deeper and deeper into it. It's so much fun. I love it. Yeah. So the big thing I got out of that is you're over forty years old. I am. There's a big age gap between the. There's two. not I'm even old. a hint of gray in that at all. Oh, there's. there's oh, some there is if you get closer. Here. Oh boy. <laughs> My wife says I'm balding. I don't see it. I see a full head of hair. I see a lot of comb over. You might be trying to compensate. 
Uh, I need to try to do the same thing with my beard. Get it to yeah. flow to the right. Shaver, you got to grow that you long go down here. More than you do go to the right. Now I don't mind the chin. That's just that's all natural. But it's this bald spot right on the right side here. I got it's okay. Bald spot right here in the center. Yeah, that's and... where I had growing up, right in the center, and then right below my mustache, and it's still a little light below my mustache. I I, I so used I to have one right here. Issue. Yeah, I got one right here on my left side. Well, pretty much the whole thing. I'm not going to lie. If if I were to let it go out, it's natural Joe Dirt, like as a joke, you know? <laughs> but it actually does that. I've just been dedicated enough to work through the real hard times. <laughs> it's it's actually full for... Uh... This is full for Shaper yeah, standards. It's pretty good. Especially pretty if good. I look off to the right. <laughs> just, 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 maybe go like this a <laughs> little bit. Cover, just, just, just keep like that left thinking. side in the frame. We're all good. Dude, you're doing all right. Yeah, is that your cover cover photo for everything? Just that side tilt, just one side cock, just majestic you know the worst looking off into the I, distance. Left side I, profile. I've been filming hunts for well, I've I've been, I do the camera thing for a long time at this point, but for the last like two years, maybe three years, I've been filming every time I'm in the tree, and the camera's always on my right side. So like, that. regardless, it's just always super patchy on camera. <laughs> I guess but, you didn't really even say how did you get into hunting? You just said where you're from. I grew up in it. Uh I mean so my name's Schaefer, and for those who don't know, I was named after Paul Schaefer, who is a rather well known, especially in your guys' area, Montana, uh fairly accomplished hunter who died the year before I was born. So at that time my dad was obviously into it and uh named me after him. And uh, pretty much was raised. I was shooting a longbow by the time I was like one and a half. And uh, homemade, or do I you had have a store one. I uh, mean, it was it's it's a wood fiberglass longbow, so it's definitely not like a box I'm store. Not sure that's not squeaking. <laughs> Don't worry, it just becomes your co-host. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it it was an it's a nice little longbow. It's actually it's the one I have rigged up for my daughter now. Perfect. Who will be one next Friday, so hopefully she can get into it shortly. Uh, but yeah, so I've been doing the traditional thing my entire life. I've the only extent I've shot a compound to this point in my life is the few times a friend has talked me into uh, taking a shot out of theirs. But other than that, I mean, up to this point, I've shot one deer with a rifle when I was eleven during my first youth season and then i want to say by the following year's youth season i was already telling my dad i wanted to take my bow youth hunting and i shot my first deer with my recurve at 12 because in vermont i don't think there's an age limit as long as you can pass your hunter education and your bow hunter education you're good to go so i mean when i shot that it ended up being a button buck. Actually, the uh, the arrow is right here. It's a 2018 Legacy with a bare razor head on the front of it. Uh, I it's one of those things I didn't think much about until I've seen a lot more. But like that year, I mean, I was I turned 12 in sep- late September, and it was already to the point where you know my dad and I would split ways. So like I wasn't in a tree with my dad any or anything, and uh, you know. It was a good, good day. I, I'm so. jealous that you're a lot better than at saving your arrows than I am. I, Me too. Like Me I have too. a well, buddy see, that has a giant box full of arrows of everything that he's killed, and then I have, 
I just keep reusing my arrows and yeah. I usually I usually save my broadheads, not the whole arrow. I reuse the arrow, but I usually save the whole broadhead. So this is the key. I'm 28. Shot my first deer when I was 12. That's all of them. (laughs) That is all of them. (laughs) Big collection. What's that? I can use that in one hand. Five. So between I I killed more deer than that last year. Did so this is my this is my first deer. This was a turkey in 2018, but from this deer to this deer was an 11 year span. Oof, oof. You got to you got to realize he's in Vermont. Mm. A lot more moose so, than there is deer. No, not the, the moose is pretty decimated. Uh, so the deal is, is I mean, I've been hunting and shooting my whole life. I mean, the archery bug and the traditional bug, that's been like super bad my entire life. Uh, when it, I, I put blame partially on Vermont just because hunting is not good here. And I, from a very early age, was dedicated to the traditional bow which is not a good thing if you're in a low number state, but I was stubborn. So I mean, it just, I, it's probably due to the lack of opportunity and the lack of even seeing deer, but that's hard when you're, you know, 12 to, you know, 18. So it wasn't until I was back from college, which was 2016. And that's when like the hunting bug really bit hard. And since 2018, I've almost had at least a shot every year. I have not capitalized every year, but it's getting better. <laughs> so for you, like, what does Vermont need to do to be able to have a good deer population or anything like that? Because there's a lot of private in Vermont, isn't there? Correct. but So our private is kind of like the Dakotas. So if it's not posted, it's open. So I don't know which Dakota is like that. I know one North of them Dakota. is. North Dakota. So we have a lot of private land, but we also have a lot of private land that you can go on anyways, which personally I don't like that, but I'm one of the seldom people up here. Uh, Part of the issue with Vermont is we're not willing to do any logging because half of our money we bring in is off tourists coming looking at the leaves. And logging and leaves do not go hand in hand. And maple syrup. Yeah, Yeah, we like our maple syrup up here. So, I mean... I'm on the like the two thirds line of the state as far as the north south goes. So like w- the land I primarily hunt is almost all mature hardwoods and it's just not that much food for deer come winter. So it's it's difficult. I mean, I I'm slowly hunting out of state more and more every year and I'm totally okay with that. I bet you the people who state you're going into aren't <laughs> no, I'm trying to bring him here. I want I want him to come down to PA. Oh. Yeah. I, I Vermonters think... were one of the original people that like went to Ohio all the time. That's like our uh that's our getaway. <laughs> Go if you're from Vermont Amish. you want to sh- Go from Amish yeah. to other Amish? There's a, we have a couple of Amish communities up here. Actually, I just barely found out about that, but for the most part, we're pretty Amish free. Our population's pretty strong. Not where I'm at, but but not far from me. Where out in the state are you? Me? Yeah. Uh, northeast. North of Scranton. North of Scranton. Okay. Yeah. I can be at Chris's in like, if I really hustled five and a half hours. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm in an interesting spot. Like I'm, I'm 45 minutes from like the New York border. So it's it, it, if I'm really motivated on a Sunday, I could drive up to New York and hunt up there. 
Okay. So it's not it's not terrible. How is it drawing tags over there in, in the East States? Like, do you guys got to draw everything or you can get over the counters for archery or what? Uh, I mean, deer-wise, I mean, deer, I can buy four tags a year. I get, I think you can only shoot one bear. But, like, a bear tag for late season, which late season basically just means during rifle season, that's just included with your hunting license. And then an early season bear tags five bucks. So do you have a pretty good bear population there then? It's growing. Uh, we're going to need to do more sooner than later. The issue is, I mean, I guess it's it depends on how you look at it, but we can either hunt bears with hounds or luck. Those are our two options. Can't bait or anything. So bear population is definitely growing. Uh, and then the only uh, big game you can really hunt here is like moose, and those are hard to draw. Draw, draw only, and the amount of tags is going up but it's still minimal what's the number of tags to do a year i want to say this year it was 173 that's not bad so to give you an idea we probably put that many out in montana oh yeah. no kidding the, that that's like uh Here, I, i'm not sure up exactly i'm not sure we're up to what we're up to this year but um i think it's probably about close to 100 tags for elk and pa I'm trying to remember one year it was like 15 so mm. it's going up but i mean pretty much only the northeast kingdom which is obviously the northeast of corner of vermont that's really the yeah. only place with the healthiest healthy-ish herd P- pa has an interesting uh like like so the whole state's it, divvied up in in wildlife management units and mm-hmm. they have a like with with your resident tag or your non-resident tag you get a antler tag uh antler whitetail tag okay. yeah a- antlered um oh, antler Antlered. Antlerless are, are um, basically you – this year t- This year was kind of a train wreck because it's the first year it went to online sales. But what what they do is they give you a quota for antlerless. And uh, like just for instance, my, my wildlife management unit has – I think it, this year was like 34,000 tags for, for doe tags. And uh, – with the old, I'm I'm bitter about this because I like. I was you're about to hear a very passionate. No, I'll go easy. Get into I, it. Get into it. Let's hear it. When when <laughs> we're we're at uh, Etar recently, which is Eastern Traditional Archery Rendezvous, and I had hold a few up, hold beers. Hold up right in there. Me. Hold up right there. First time I heard of that I was on your guys' show, and you get saying Etar, and I yeah. thought you were saying something else like over and over now, and this is wild. <laughs> it took because I was working while I was doing it, so just kind of like background noise, and it, I wasn't really picking up, and I was just hearing Etar every now and again. I was like. Whoa. Okay. Again. What, All right. What the hell's that? No, it's a, it's a if you're if you're into traditional archery and you want to go to a fantastic rendezvous, Eastern Traditional Archery Rendezvous. We go every year. It's a good time. Probably um, the largest one in the country. Yeah. This year we were there and I, I I had a I probably had a few cocktails in me and I went off for about thirty minutes on how the new system is absolute bullcrap and uh, I'm not a fan of it. But basically. I we like you have to you get three draws. The first one's in early July, and basically the the old system you mailed an envelope and you you mailed in your application. Now it's online, and our online system went a lot like um, Idaho's did. It was an absolute shit show. It didn't it didn't work well at all. Um, when I signed in, because you can sign in at eight a.m., I signed in at eight a.m. and I was forty six thousand something in the line, and yeah, it, it ended up basically like. 
I I was nervous enough that on my way home for work, I I dove in my local hardware store that happens to sell tags, and waited in line for forty five minutes to get mine, because I was I was nervous that it was going to sell out, and it did. Um, it didn't sell out that day, but it sold out. Um, I think within five minutes of the second draw. So first draw is July. Residents get get their chance. Two weeks later, it opens to non-residents, and then. I think it's end of July, big beginning of August. The second draw for residents opens, and I logged in at eight a.m. and it was already over. It, like my unit had sold out. Um, in the past, we met, we mailed in our applications, and I never, never had an issue getting a second tag. So, I, I I hate our game commission and their need for money that because that's why they did this. They took it. It used to be run by the county commissioners, and now they wanted more money, so they ran ran. Uh, they run it strictly by the game commission. So it, it anyway, I'm just bitter because I can't get my second tag. Um, but that's how PA works. And uh, you can come up here and shoot four deer. Yeah, you can't shoot any deer up there. You we already cleared this. <laughs> so so to so go that's over the thing. counter four tags though. <laughs> so that's what I was wondering about New York too. Is that over the counter too? Like, is there a whole section up there where you guys can just get a bunch over the counter? You can hop from state to state or what? I mean, I don't for know, the most I don't know part, how New York works. Do you? New York's kind of strange because they have like an archery tag and a muzzleloader tag that can be used as an archery tag. And depending on where you are within the state, you can get more or less doe permits. Right. I mean, for the most part, regardless in the Northeast, you can buy tags over the counter. Doe permits, depending on where you are, may or may not be draw. Like here, I can buy four archery tags and I can shoot four does with them without having to draw now if you want to shoot a doe with a muzzleloader there's a draw okay so I should, I should, it, it, it's all segmented like that but it's certainly not nearly an out west type of situation what one uh, one caveat to our our uh, antler tag that if you still have that antler tag in the late flintlock season you can use that for a either sex tag okay so that kind of makes things a little easier for people who don't end up getting doe tags. No, we can only shoot one one antler deer. So yeah, How, like our rifle our rifle season is buck only. Right. So if you shoot a buck with your bow, you just can't rifle hunt. I should ask how how are you guys with doe hunting? I mean, like some some people are like anti doe hunting. We, I'm like, I feel we, like that's we need more thing. around here. But so to go back to the moose thing. Montana gives out 282 moose tags. Okay. And then to go back to your comment about Idaho, the way you get around uh, hopping online is you just go into the store. It's Yeah, that, that's, I, that's where I, I'm I, at. The only I, problem I always is, make sure I travel on yeah. that time of year. I'm in, a, I'm in a small town, and we're surrounded. I mean, like, we're all hunters. So, like... I mean, I went to that hardware store and I still waited for, and it's a small, small town. Like we're rural Pennsylvania and we, I still waited 45 minutes. So, so that's where I'm at. But, um, yeah, I, I like my doe hunting, especially being a, a we have a fly a, on we the camera. Fly. We got a camera. Is that, is that a fly? Yeah. It literally landed just right on the camera. That's awesome. But, so, uh, that was. but no, I, I, I love I love doe hunting. I would consider myself a doe management pro. Ditto. But uh, 
Like, I've I, never shot a buck to this day, so I'm really good at it. Yeah, we uh, we could get... When I first moved here, like when I was 12 and got my... So we have to be 12 to pass hunter safety back when I was a kid. Now you can be 10 to get the learner's deal, but 12. And I think... I could be wrong, but I think it was you could get six mule deer doe tags and three whitetail doe tags, plus your general buck tags each. So me and my dad would load up on all doe tags, and then like the last week in the season, we would just go out and with rifle and mow down does and then spend the next weekend cutting up deer. So It makes freezer. for a great photo when you have like four people <laughs> with max doe tags, and you just <laughs> go out, and it's like heaping piles of does in the back of people's pickups. It's great. It needs to be done. We've, yeah, not to say that we've got a pile of deer. We got a lot of does. We've got a lot of does yeah. that need to be taken care of. And our, there's a lot of people that only buck hunt. So yeah, our biggest problem I, is we have too many does and not enough bucks, and everyone will shoot anything with horns for the most part. So we just can't yeah. get any age. But what's crazy if you just go across the border into Canada, they're they're not shooting anything unless it's 180, 200 plus. Wow, that's mule deer or whitetail. We got both up here. We're up yeah. here on the I'm assuming that's you guys... body weight. No. No. Antlers? Just... Yeah, antlers. So oh, you like guys body are, weight, you you're looking shun, at like You guys kind of shun the whitetails, don't you? You guys don't like them out there, right? I like whitetails over mule deer. It, it's it's a person-by-person person thing. Yeah. Some people, that's all they want to shoot is a whitetail. Because they are harder. And some people, it's like, oh, it's all about mule deer. Yeah. But The mule deer is, because I've done too many with a rifle to where... You're walking along a draw and you kick a mule deer out and he'll jump to the other side of the draw and stop 80 yards away and turn three quarters quarter and away from you with a rifle. I mean, that's a chip shot. And it's just, to me, I I think it's more challenging to go after a whitetail. Chase thinks I, I, the opposite. But. Uh, no, I would 100% agree with that. It's harder to kill a big whitetail than it is a big mule deer. Especially, you guys, we, don't, we don't have trees either. Like, we're prairie. So everything up here is spot and stock. I've only shot one deer out of a tree stand here. And that was at the head of a draw that just had some trees in it. And then I've shot two whitetail the last two year with my bow, a one sixty five and a one seventy. Yeah, so one seventy was in North Dakota. But are you guys? You guys are hunting with compounds, right? Yeah. I, I do. I have a longbow and recurve. I'm traditional. I was gonna ask. Have you? Have you? Have you given it a whirl yet? Yeah. Uh, every time I decide I want to, it's like uh, one walks by at forty. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's just like I sit there and I cut. I have a recurve and I look at it and I'm like. I'm just going to take the compound. And then you have like a doe walk by it like five yards. I'm like, damn it. I should have brought the recurve. Yeah. So, so I've go ahead, go ahead. You're the guest. I, I have, I haven't killed anything past 10 yards with this bow yet. Really? That's awesome. Yeah. All, all my kills have been like, like this year's was eight. Last year's was seven. And the year before it was 10, but your tree stands and stuff like that. Right. Correct. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're all, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a lot Easter harder party. to spot and stock something to 10 yards. Right? Yeah. You're not going <laughs> to, it, yeah, it can happen. I almost got shots. a, I almost got an antelope last year. I think it was 11 we stepped it off at, but I damn I messed that up. I messed it up big time. But well, I had a buddy miss an antelope two different times under 10 yards. Yeah, we had a, he had a he had one of the predator decoys. I have I let mm-hmm. him use it. The first one he thinks it might have glanced off the target. The next one he has no idea what happened. Yeah. But it just didn't go well. Yeah, it was just <laughs> it bad. He and he's just like I literally cried each time afterwards. Yeah, no, you you got to laugh a little because it's funny. We've all we've all had our awesome misses and we're just kind of like, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Mine was that antelope. He was at 11 yards when I crawled up to him. He was bedded down, facing the other way, and I went to flip my bow over, or I I had uh I had a quiver up, 
pulled a arrow out, put it on the string, then I went to flip it over so I had uh, quiver down so I could have the grip and have my hand on and then get up and I flipped it over. I have turkey feather fetchings like everybody else and I was on some cut CRP so it was hard grass so those feathers went along the hard grass and right up yep. and then he oh, jumped man. up and went out to like 25 and was like quartering towards me, like broadside quartering towards me about halfway between the two and I shot and I, I got, I had fluorescent pink and white fletchings. I could see him going perfect and if you could, I guess if you could picture it like that, I don't know if you can see me very well. Uh, yeah. Front leg, it was going perfect. I thought I had him and it tucked right between that front leg, right in the armpit, and there's a bunch of white hair, poof, blew off the bottom, didn't even touch the skin or nothing, just cut hair right off of him, and gone, so, but back to, you said, have you tried it, uh, so that's why I was asking you what you started with a, for a bow, I got when I was two or whatever, my dad's hand-me-down longbow from when he was a kid, it was an old Fred Bear, it's a red one, I can't remember what they called it, but I've got it now too, and my four-year-old runs around with it and shoots it. So that's why I was wondering what you had, because I met two guys that have had that same bow. They grew up with the same one that I did. So I was going to see a if little I can... bear. Might be. I don't know. Most of the uh, logo is rubbed off by now, but you can just see a little yeah. bit of the bear, and I know it was a Fred bear. I tried looking yeah, it up, but I couldn't find it again. I'll send you a picture on Instagram real quick. It's a picture with my my daughter with it, but yeah. So, anyways, I, I shot. Longbow and recurve all the way up until the day I passed my uh, bow hunter education when I turned 13 is when you could do bow hunter right here. And then I went on the way through Plentywood, that town. So my parents live halfway between the town that we're in right now, Scobie and Plentywood. And so we did the bow hunter in Plentywood and there's a sporting goods store there. And right after that, me and my dad went to the sporting goods store and he bought me my first compound bow. And then I went from there and I went on the whole trip to where I was figuring out how to tune things and time cams and cut my own arrows and all the crazy mathematical stuff. I was shooting really far. And then this last couple of years, I went back to longbow. I've said this a million times now on the show, but my grandpa back in the sixties, fifties, whatever, way back in the day, he built bows all the time, longbows, recurves, all that. And for my college graduation present, he bought or made me a longbow. The first one he'd made since the eighties. Oh, that's then, cool. Uh, he gave it to me and then I had it for like a month and I didn't really shoot it. And he asked me if I'd been shooting. I said, no, I really don't want to ruin it. And he said, I didn't make that for it to hang on your wall. I want to see you shoot something with that before I die. So I kind of made a promise to him that I would. But he was a little bit off on his uh, memory for the thicknesses, for the fiberglass and the wood and everything. And yeah. uh, his his bow scale maxes out at 80 pounds. And we maxed it out at 26 inches on this bow. And I'm like a 29 and a half to 30 inch straw weight or length. So we don't know how heavy it yeah. is. But it's, it's uh, heavy. It's It's heavy. <laughs> It's real heavy. So Who it's needs not, shoulders, you know? Yeah, it's not a joy to shoot. If I'm shooting it and it hits the target, you know it hit the target because it's a it's a whack, but I can only do so many arrows in a in a session before I'm worn out on it. I don't know if I'd find any woodies in that spine. <sighs> no, probably not. No, no, you'd, no. You'd literally be shooting a Lincoln log. No, I'm shooting yeah. 350 uh, carbons. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So 350 carbons yeah, with a 300, 300 three-blade uh VPA or VAP? VAP. VPA, yeah. So, yeah, I'm shooting 300 grains, 350 spine. Um, I can't remember what I got them cut at, and then just a three fletch. So, Beautiful. It's, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it shoots heavy. I got a recurve that shoots, uh, I think it's 55 pounds, and I think it's only a 400 spine. So, yeah, yeah. 
Good stuff. Big difference. Big difference. Big difference. I like shooting that recurve a lot. It's a lot of fun. Just a nice little pop and it goes that long though when you shoot it. <laughs> it's something. I, it's really funny because it's I got friends. the dentist across the street. Yeah, yeah. I got friends that uh, hadn't really started archery hunting until after I got back from college, and they all got compounds. And so now they're like sixty-five to seventy pounds. You know, they got the valley and everything. None of them had ever done a longbow or traditional, and they're. I had a couple of them try pulling it back, and they couldn't get it halfways back at home. But them pretty quick. And then not only that, yeah. the ones that did get it back, they couldn't even hit the target. Like they'd get it back, and they just spray and pray let it go and it went everywhere i lost a lot of arrows that night i learned my lesson what what's what's 80 percent of 70 pounds isn't it like 14 pounds or something like that that you're holding back at full draw it's just under 20 any anymore like the elite bow you can pull it down on that uh the bow press to see what its uh weight is and you can let go of the bow and it'll hold itself because the valley is so yeah the let off is not even there it's just the valley it's like it adds the let off it's ridiculous and and i and i like my heavy bows i like to shoot heavy arrow so i'm i'm usually whatever the max weight i can get my bow at so like i had had a pse here a few years ago and it was an 80 pound bow and what i didn't know at the time is if you stretch your uh cable out a little or not your cable but your strings out it'll increase that poundage well, those PSEs are so canted that just over time it started stretching it out. And I remember just like starting to shoot my bow again. I'm like, holy cow. I'm like, have I not shot my bow in that long? I'm just like, I'm struggling. So I went to the bow shop and had them throw it on the scale. And it was like 90 something pounds. And I'm like, holy crap. I'm like, jeez. I like heavy, but that's heavy. Yeah, that's too heavy for me. So. So my grandpa, one more on one more on him. He uh he's got a bow hanging down in the basement. And uh it's one of the few that he kept most of me sold or gave away, but it's one of the few that he kept. And I can't remember, he said it was an experimental bow. They're seeing how heavy and fast they can make it. And back in the day, so he 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 uh had a company called Whip Bows, was his bows. And he ended okay, up selling yep. the company at some point, and that's why he quit making bows. But anyways, he um he made this one, and it was a recurve, and he made some great big handles on them. But anyways, it was an experimental bow to see how heavy and fast they can make it. And he said mm. it took three guys to string it, and they took it on an elk hunt or an antelope hunt or something. And he said that they went to see how far they could shoot it, and they stepped off 80 yards, and he pulled back and shot like he normally did. Well, it took quite a bit to pull it back. He doesn't know how heavy it ever was. But he said he thought at 80 yards what he normally would have shot that far, he put up there. And so it arced down. He said he pulled back and let it go at that angle, and it went straight until it went all the way out of sight. And he never saw it start dipping at all, so you never know where that arrow went. And he said it was the Wowzers. fastest bow he'd ever seen or ever shot, but he can only pull it back twice before his shoulder gave out. Schaefer, oh. you're going to know this. Who's the guy that used to come to Etar like, way back that had like the six-foot long long bow that was 100 pounds? I feel like I'm gonna let you down because I don't know. Jeez. Do you remember? Do you remember what I'm talking I about? I recall what you're talking about. Because the dude used to let people shoot it, was and it, it was like, like that a, big around. It they were they were like basically like atlatl arrows. <laughs> they were huge, and and uh, I, I forget it was it was a hundred something pounds to drop back, and it was like, well, who can drop back and shoot it? Oh, I wonder who that it. guy was. I forget his name. Mm. Uh, it just sounds painful. Yeah. Like you say, seventy that doesn't sound painful. You start yeah, starting with that. like an eight, yeah, it's starting to sound bad. Yeah, I can pull this one back a couple times. That one that I have from him, but uh, I I would have loved to have tried that one that he was talking about. He could only pull back twice, but 
he said he hung it up because he never shot it. Well, he said it in the closet was a thing on one limb for a while, and then that bottom limb twisted, so that's when he hung it up. So he can't gotcha. do it. it now. But hey, I'll be right back. I'm gonna, I gotta get a beverage. Perfect. <laughs> All right, then gotta last... restock. Yeah, we took longer than you thought, or what? No, nah, he he's usually good for one or two. Perfect. Well, I'm on number four. Beautiful. All right, Schaefer. Oh. Where is your dream or what's your bucket list place to go hunting? And what are you going to go hunting for? You know, for the longest time, I would have said elk. And uh, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you where just because I never looked into it that just far. Somewhere west. Probably these days, it's probably moose in Alaska. Rich days. With the, with the bow. Yeah, no kidding, right? But whether it happens, we'll see. At this point, I'd be happy to hunt moose anywhere, pretty much. Like, I always apply for Vermont, but have yet to get lucky. We could go up to Maine, too, couldn't you? They've got a better population. Uh, Maine's just as hard to draw, from my understanding. Are they? Yeah, Maine, Maine's a lot, a lot of big woods. Like, I think you can only get one deer tag up there. That That's something, I can't remember which magazine it was in back in the, when I was a kid, but I read an article of a dude that, uh, tracked deer in maine in the hardwoods with uh 33 yeah, something and the benoits yeah something but it was in like outdoor life or whatever and it really for a little bit there i was like god damn it i'm gonna go out east and i'm gonna hunt those hardwoods and then i was like no i'm, I'm not going there to shoot smaller deer that are harder to get with a more expensive well, so it's it's weird because being in the northeast everything is off of body size no antlers which means you guys have small antlers got it you know never mind i I take that back it is true we only have spikes yep yep that's exactly it yeah i mean uh yeah it's weird it's like the goal here is to shoot a 200 pound deer like that's the the goal like that's that's like the bucket list buck for here yeah that's that's not too hard to do here Oh, I yeah, you. we we have no ag though, so it, it's yeah. we have big body deer, just they're lean and mean. <laughs> yeah, we get like everything that I shoot deer in archery is got like, well, we'll put it this way: the last two whitetail that I've shot, its back fat has been over an inch thick, so it's almost like shooting beef. Yeah, so I was talking with my uncle, and he's hunted outside of vermont a lot more he's like i I don't even know if i want to eat a vermont deer again because he's he's tasted the midwestern deer a lot yeah said deer from up here are almost unedible to him yeah when you can get like around here the peas and lentils garbanzo beans like stuff like that i don't know what it is but they just pack on the fat and the flavor in them are just yeah like i shot a mule deer that was out of a chickpea field a few years back and it, I took the back straps and I left the fat on it and I just cut it with the fat on and it literally yep. tastes like a beef steak because of the oh, fat, that's awesome. which is just crazy. But especially but, venison's known to be lean, so that's even you know. it's wild. I'm not brave enough to try the fat because I was always told it was gross. But this year I'll go for it. You talked me into it by now. But at the same time, if you go shoot a mule deer that's been in the sagebrush or anything like that, yeah, you don't want to eat the fat <laughs> or anything on that. 
All right, look at that. Say just nasty. Look at the picture I just sent you on that Instagram. Since you guys aren't nice enough to give me your phone numbers, you don't trust me yet. Uh, The (laughs) last one I sent you, that was my wife's deer from two years ago. Look at the body on that one. I guess, Chris, you're going to be out of it, but unless you can get into the account too. Yeah, we both have access to it. Oh, you sent it to the broken. All right, hang on. Yeah, Yeah, we we don't have antlers like that here. The last one I sent you though is uh, just the deer laying out there with the gun across the. Uh... Yeah, that's 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 a hefty body. That one, we uh, tried to load it without gutting it. We couldn't do it. It's me, my dad, and my wife, and we couldn't pull it up into the truck. We had to dump guts out there in the field and load it up in. I say the, to this date, I think the heaviest deer I've shot gutted's a hundred and seven. Got it is 107? Yeah. Is that a head-on? I I suppose you're shooting does, you don't have to worry about antlers. Yeah, that was probably like a a three-and-a-half-year-old doe. It's not bad. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd be more than happy to shoot a buck if it walked in front of me. I mean, realistically, I I haven't hunted much off of this one property just because we have it pretty much all to ourselves. And uh, in my time hunting this property, I think I've seen one legal buck from a tree stand. So let's go into that. You guys have like uh, like antler restrictions and stuff? So in Vermont, it has to have two on one side. Like, so like basically a just no, Yeah, basically just no spikes. Hmm. And I know Chris, I think where he is, it's three on three. one side, right? It's three, uh, Easter PA is three on one side. I think some of Western PA is four on one side. Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Vermont's two two on one side. If you're hunting like the the main spine of the Green Mountains, they've dropped the rule just because I think if you're dumb enough to hunt up there and you want to shoot a spike horn, they're cool with it. But as a whole, it, no spikes. Like last year, it was the last day of bow season. I thought I had a doe coming in, and. Uh, I thought she was at about, you know, she was yeah, 15 yards and all suddenly she flicked her ears and I'm like, Oh, that's got spikes. <laughs> Cause here three inches and under counts as a doe. So, if, you know, theoretically you could tag a, a spike horn with a doe tag, but her, it's spikes was probably, I don't know, four or five inches. They were just laid back perfectly with the ears. And I remember I texted my dad saying, if that person, if anybody was using a, a crossbow or a muzzleloader, that deer would totally have been smoked <laughs> thinking it was a doe. Now but. here's, so do you guys know who uh, Wayne Saunders is? Name sounds familiar. Uh, he's a game warden from up, I think he was in Maine or maybe he was New Hampshire. But he was a, like one of the guys that was on Northwoods Law. He was on the podcast a couple months ago. So he said that it's fairly common for him to see either pickups or minivans with the driver's side mirror missing because the poachers, they love minivans or pickups and they'll take a crossbow and then go shoot out the window and that limb on the crossbow will whack the mirror and break the mirror. So I was going to see how many broken mirrors you guys see up there because he says it's very common up there. I'll start paying attention. Yeah. He said the broken mirror podcast. The broken mirror (laughs) podcast. There you go. Poachers are us. Well, you were yeah. you were here for it, Chris. Where's your uh, bucket list place to go hunt for hunt for hunt? Oh, yeah. my, my bucket list. And what list would you go is, after? Uh, 
my my bucket list is a uh, a, a moose hunt in Alaska with a longbow. Why don't you two just a pee in a pod? <laughs> Why? What did he say? Did he say the same, same damn thing? Yeah. Moose hunt in Alaska. He's copying after. Yeah, it's bullshit. Um, this just got weird. I guess we are I, from I the would, northeast. Okay, then I'll change it up. Uh, a moose hunt with a longbow in Maine. That's what I said to go do. <laughs> yeah, I would do that. I, I love Maine. I, I pretty I, much I, said I, I'd hunt them anywhere, but it's hard to draw them in the Northeast. Yeah. Yeah. A, a PA elk would be pretty sweet, too. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. That'd be real cool. I'd like to go do a one of those Kentucky elk. Uh, seen some of those yeah. pictures. That would be awesome. I could have swore. I feel like somebody said if you're willing to shoot a a cow... I don't know if it's Pennsylvania. I feel like it's Kentucky. I feel like I'm not going to say it's easy to draw a cow tag in Kentucky, but if you're willing to shoot a cow elk, it's significantly easier to draw in Kentucky. I remember somebody telling me that. I'm willing to shoot a cow elk. Hell yes. It tastes the same. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants the antlers. Um, Trying to think. Oh, the moose thing. I was trying to think back. My brain is slow right now. Uh, so my dream hunt back when I was a kid, when I thought that I was going to be making money, well, I'd said this last time, we had made a bucket list, me and my uh, cousin in college. But before that, when I was in high school, my dream was I was going to take my bow out to Alaska and I was going to shoot a Kodiak, a uh, moose, and a caribou all in one trip. And then I tried to, I tried to price how much money you got. I tried to price (laughs) that out when I was a senior in high school. I was like, when I graduate college, that's going to be my goal. And I looked at the price of it and I was like, Ooh, I'm not going to make that being a mechanic. This isn't going to work out. Yeah. No, that's not true. We we have a friend who's a plumber who hunts. He's killed six grizzly now. Yeah. But to be fair, he, he, he sold his truck to go. True. He, he, he's true. got his priorities in line. Was it your guys? Who was that? I was just listening to that. Was it you guys that said that somebody put a mortgage on their house? To go sheep hunting? Or what was I just listening to on that? That sounds familiar. Oh, God, I can't remember. It was just like a podcast I listened to today or yesterday. The dude went out well, and he shot can... uh, two sh- – I was on the uh, Midwest Flyways podcast. They said this dude went and uh, put a mortgage on his house twice without his wife knowing so you go shoot a stone sheep and a doll sheep. That well, sounds so amazing. I was, I was listening to the Kafaru cast and Aaron Snyder was saying he was going – of course – no, he shot a billy goat. So he was saying he was going up and helping guide uh, some stone sheep hunts, and he was saying they go for eighty-five grand. Good oh. lord! To be suddenly young enough, my one hundred and ten dollars I spent on a Vermont hunting license doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, exactly. I just can't imagine when you picture someone that's got the money to do that. You picture someone that's uh, quite a bit older and out of shape. That's just like pops in my head, like Donald Trump type person that could afford that. 85 grand, like it's nothing. I couldn't imagine. Yeah. Just somebody in shape enough to go actually do that hunt. It just kind of blows my mind. But, well, you'd either have to find somebody that's super loaded or somebody real dedicated to fill a bucket list. How'd you guys meet? Yeah. Like, how did you guys get this going? Uh, Social media. Yeah. So we have a mutual acquaintance, Ron Rohrball. Oh, Ooh. yeah, Ron, that's right. So basically, when I was doing my podcast... We were talking... In, 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 in well, no, we didn't... We were, we we were didn't talking talk. prior... Yeah, no, we no. definitely talked before Ron, because mm. because uh, we there was... Uh, when you Like you guys were saying, when the East Coast shut down, mm. 
we we still had a rendezvous, and even though the state was 100% against it, they had it, and Schaefer was thinking about coming down. And I was like, hey, we're here. We're camping. We got spots. Come on down. And that, that was probably the first time you and I interacted and talked, and that was yeah. pre-Ron because that was before I shot my, my big eight. That was probably 2020. 20, 20, was that, 20, that, was, that was 2020. So that so was that, the year of... Uh, that was the... I shot that 8 in November. Yeah. I'm going to be scrolling so that was the first time the rest of this podcast to figure this out. Find out when the hell it was. Get an exact so, date, time. But no, so, so generally how we started Ron. talking for real, though, was... So our mutual friend, Ron, my original podcast... Uh, Green Mountain Tradcast, Ron's company, which was Lifecycle Gear, was a, a partner or a sponsor, however you want to say it, to it. And I was talking to him about doing a podcast about, you know, the current hunting season going on. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, I'd totally be up for it, but let's uh, let's get a couple other guys on to make it more interesting. You know, get a few more stories. And Ron recommended contacting dear. Chris. Mm-hmm. So I, I got a hold of Chris, started talking, and then from there we were just kind of off and on talking. I don't exactly remember how, but one way or another, we were chatting one day and we decided to go to Kalamazoo, which is the traditional archery expo in Michigan. So at this point, we've chatted with each other for a while on Insta- Instagram, never met each other in person. No, we had met each other in person. At a E-tar. yes, at Etar prior, we we had shot like half a course together and talked to each other a few times. We did, and now this was in the, during the height of COVID, and you know everybody's hanging out at home and all that trash. So like we did, like FaceTime each other quite a bit and shoot together, where like I would throw my iPad on the on the dirt outside and we just shoot the shoot the bull and and shoot our bows together. We did that quite a. F- few times before we actually met which is kind of weird thinking about it but so did you tell your guys' wives that you're seeing someone online oh she knew yeah <laughs> i was about to say they 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 gotta think it's weird yeah but there's, uh there's so many times where like i i don't know if it's just traditional archery but like you'll go you'll go to a shoot or something and you've been talking to some some person for like a year online just swapping hunting stories or techniques or, or, or tuning something or other and and then you meet that person and you're like i've known you for like a year but you've mm-hmm. never met that person it's kind of funny um but yeah he, he i mean we were definitely shooting together and stuff i scrolled back to july of 21 so far wow but yeah so we, we've known each other for a minute i guess yeah but regardless think, when we went to kalamazoo, kalamazoo. that one time I was kind of starting to phase out my podcast a little bit. Or not phase out, it's just I was doing it solo. And when you don't have a second person doing it, you don't have that second person kind of keeping you in check. Yep. So I was telling him, you know, like we, we had chatted a few times. He really enjoyed doing his podcast, but it was kind of phasing it away. fizzled out, yeah. And I was like, I've kind of thought about bringing on another person onto mine just to keep me more honest with it. And I wasn't sure at the same time if I wanted to bring somebody onto mine. So we just started talking about, well, maybe we should do one. And then 
the entire ride home from Kalamazoo, which we had like nine and a half hours to get to his place. We just slowly talked about it and tried to come up with a name. And probably three weeks later, we let our first episode out. Which one of you broke the arrow to make the podcast name? I think we, we both have. So the official first contact was July 7th of 2020. Was it just a kissy face emoji? <laughs> uh, he replied to my story. <laughs> Ooh, first move. Oh, it was meant to be after that. Keep the good stuff coming. I must have mentioned something about my podcast. If you come to Skitar, look it up. We're off to the right in the big field. That's right. We're camping. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Did, did you, you have go. enough room in your sleeping bag for him? He didn't come. Know, I'm a pretty big dude. <laughs> he didn't show. He didn't even show up. It was lame. So I was waiting for like one more friend to be willing. So like now, I totally would go. Like God, the drive there so... is so easy. But like at the time, you know, I was broke. So like I was just looking for a way to split cost one more way to justify like basically going down for a day and coming back. And I just, I couldn't talk anybody into it. I almost had my wife talked into going. But, and she would have gone, but I, I just, I knew she wasn't going to enjoy it as much as, uh, <laughs> I knew she'd be doing it out of guilt. Yeah. So your podcast thing saying it's, the biggest thing that I found doing it by yourself is uh, an issue of you run out of things to talk about and you're the only one there asking questions. It's kind of awkward silence. If you got someone else with you, they always got something cooking on their head too. So it's kind of yeah, it's rough trying yeah. to do it by yourself because I did that for since November now until like the last month or two. Yeah, the uh, the other nice thing is usually like, you know, usually one of us can't comes up with the guest. It's not usually like a mutual decision. It's like, hey, I got this guy. I want to bring him onto the podcast, see how it goes. So like, usually in those circumstances, you got somebody that leads the podcast, like. One person knows them more than Somebody's the other. Gotten in. Yeah. And then you'll notice about halfway through the podcast, all suddenly it equals out more as the other person gets more comfortable with the guest. Yeah. Schaefer brings guys in that I've never heard of before. And as soon as they start talking, I'm like, whoa, this, this dude's got some experience. And, and, and then I start grilling the guy because I'm like, I want to know more about this guy and, and what, what's his, his methods and things like that. So, like, he'll start off strong and then, and then, Chris then takes I'll, over. Uh, then I'll 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 join in and, and ask my share of questions. It's fun. It's 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 a fun way to to meet and, and people and learn from them. It, I mean, one of the coolest things is just like the people I randomly text these days. Like occasionally I'll text Mike Mitten, I'm texting Denny Sturgis. It's just like these people that I have no reason to have their number and be able to just send a text message to. For some reason, I do, and I just find that fascinating. Well, that's me in the waterfowl world. Cause this, so this podcast covers everything from fishing, trapping, uh, hunting, waterfowl, upland, everything. So like, there's guys in the waterfowl world that are very big names like Joe Hines, Nick Johnson, Trevor Austin, people like that, which not to name drop. But then like I've got all their numbers in my phone. Like Every now and again, they'll hit me up or hook them up. And, like This is kind of wild. We, Six yeah. months ago, they didn't know who I was and... Here most, I am. most most people listening probably don't have a clue who Mike Mitten is or what he's done. <laughs> I was about to say I don't have a clue of any of the names he just listed. Off. Right, Jeez. right. Uh, I've been on waterfall hunt, unfortunately. Um, 
But if you don't know who Mike Mitten is, look him up. Look him up. Chase? He's Mike Mitten. You know who Mike Mitten Mike is? Mike Mitten. Mm. While he's looking that up, from what it sounded like an ETAR, is it like a whole city out there just in a field? Oh, yeah. Shooting much, yeah. How many yeah, people show have... up? So what? my friend Jeff showed up Thursday night, and he was campsite probably around 550 to 575. Ooh. So that's campsite number, let alone how many people are in average camp. per camp. So like my campsite was 125 because we got there Monday. The event starts Thursday. So we got there Monday and our campsite had three people in it. So, I mean, you're talking you know, thousands of people camped, plus people that are just coming for the day. And then Saturday's usually swamped because everybody that has the weekend off that lives anywhere close to being local comes. Yeah. So it is absolutely crazy. So is it just like a bunch of dirty hippies running around with dreads and longbows? Uh, there's not too many dreads. Lots of longbows. Lots of longbows. Yeah, uh, traditional archery doesn't really, I don't think it really pulls in the hippies. It does for about two weeks, and they realize it's difficult, and then they quit. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing for free. (laughs) True. Very true. (laughs) No, it's just Bernie isn't here. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it sounded like there's uh, every big name bow maker was there, too. There's no way I could go and have my wallet in my pocket. I would have to leave that in a lockbox. Oh, it's bad. If you bring cash, you won't have said cash by the end. Yeah, there's a, there's a solid group of of people who are straight up killers there who are take the hard way, and are very successful. And it's awesome to pick their brains. And yeah. and, and I mean, like, we're we're both members of the PBS, uh, which is Professional Bow Hunter Society, and and Comp and Traditional Bow Hunters, and both those groups are just chock full of dudes that strictly hunt with traditional gear and put animals down like crazy and and it's fun to to hang out with those folks and and pick their brains and find out what what they're up to what kind of methods they're using what they're doing and uh so so the wild thing the professional bow hunter society is not a traditional only club true true story so there's like two guys with compounds in it. <laughs> well, so I, I, I think it's 98% traditional, mm-hmm. but it's because I'll try not to butcher this, but when they say professional, it's not in the essence of like, you know, like professional sports type of deal. It is the essence of like ethics. Correct. Like being a, prof- I don't it, like you said, ethics, keeping yourself well behaved being at the forefront not being of, a d-bag don't be yeah just breaking keeping laws, a clean stuff image. Like that. yeah so like representing hunting and it's, it's, almost it's, everybody that aligns with the professional bow hunter society often shoots a traditional bow just because it takes a certain personality and a certain person to want to do it and it usually lines up you know perfectly hmm. so but it's an awesome organization. There, it offers Both a lot of have. stuff. Good magazine. Not to randomly put a PBS uh, <laughs> ad here, but it's no, just but- good magazine. Like if you're a member, there's a lot of people that do member hunts. 
yeah so like, it's a great, a it's a great to, place is it like a countrywide thing or is it mostly out there on the east because i've never heard of it no nationwide it's countrywide so like a, it's it's a lot of good like if you've never been on an elk hunt you know somebody will start up a a member elk hunt mm-hmm. and sometimes it's just like you literally just have to get yourself there you you so have it's a, as low cost as you would ever be able to get to diy you know, stuff yeah you're surrounded by pbs hunters out there there's a ton of pbs hunters out west um but etar is a great place to to meet to meet these folks and get introduced to them and find out what they're up to yeah and no matter get get in on hunts you could go by yourself and by the end you'll be in this is etar you know if you go by yourself by the end you'll sit around everybody's campfire be offered to go on about 18 different hunts and uh leave with as many friends as you're willing to make it's crazy it's awesome to go to stuff like that yeah sure is every single person there is pretty much like-minded it's it's hard to go to one of these places and find somebody you disagree with so it kind of sounds exactly like we got the montana trappers rendezvous is coming up Mm -hmm. at the end of next month i'm not gonna make it. it makes me upset but it sounds like exactly the same thing like everybody's of the same like you can go up and talk to anybody and they will sit there and talk to you for like an hour and you guys yeah, are just yeah, going to talk about, about right. everything's like-minded and you can get invited places, do things that you never thought of. And yeah, kind of yeah. sounds like now the that, same thing. Bunch of people camped out that love the outdoors. Now that I have a career, I have a hard time saying I would definitively quit my job if they denied my vacation request for ETAR. But if I were to get denied, I'm not saying I wouldn't quit. Or threatened to quit to make sure I got the time off. I mean, there is a, a certain level of it just it happens every year. I don't care. Well, if I ever had a job tell me I couldn't take time off when I said I'm taking it off, I'm quitting that job. Fuck that place. Yeah, pretty much, right? But all my time off is either for sick kids or to go hunting, and I've never had a boss that wasn't a hunter too. So they're usually taking off the same days I'm taking off. So, so that's one of the perks. I'm the only one at work that's like a diehard bow hunter. So like it's really easy to get time off in October, even early November. Cause rifle Nobody season for us. It. Yeah. Rifle season opens up like, uh, I, you know, I, I've never rifle hunted for the most part. So I don't really know how the, the season starts. It just always is after bow season, but it's something to do with like the second Saturday or like two Saturdays before Thanksgiving. It's something weird like that. So the date's never definitive. So, However it is, you know, that's when a lot of people are out of work, and that's usually when I'm back at work (laughs) or start hunting out of state. I usually try to avoid rifles when it comes to people in the woods. I would, too. But we don't have woods. I can usually see the people because we're in blaze orange right here on the prairie, so most of the time you can see them. We're one of the few states, maybe the only state, I'm not 100% sure, we do not require blaze orange. Really? Yeah. No, I'm not saying it, I am not saying you shouldn't wear it, <laughs> but we do not require it. It is optional. Now, I could be wrong, but I want to say South Dakota is the same way. I could be wrong, though. But it's yeah. like for, for deer season. I know for pheasant, we always wore it. But I don't remember really any pictures of anybody in my family wearing I could just be outlaws, but... Well, like I know seems. private property, you don't have to yeah. on most states. And most of it, we have, we're on private property, but. 
Rifle season, I will wear orange to my stand. And then once I'm in my stand, I will usually hang whatever orange I was wearing off my backpack. Mm. So I am not physically wearing orange, but the tree I am am in is still, like, tagged. So that was the same thing I did when I I was uh, living down there in South Dakota and North, North Dakota for a little bit after college. When I would archery hunt during rifle season, the same thing. I'd put an orange hat on at least, and then I would hang it off my backpack. That's the only place I really got a tree stand hunt was down there, and I'd hang it off my backpack on the hanger so it was there next yep. to me. Just it gave me a little bit of safety because it, it felt weird to me because I came from Montana where you get to rifle season here and you got to throw on your blaze orange, have a whole vest, and maybe an orange backpack and maybe an orange hat. You don't know. And then go in there and everyone's like, why are you wearing orange? You're hunting. Yep. They're going to see the orange. It's like, that just doesn't feel right. Yeah, it's funny. My my orange hat I wear is like, it's like fall like a fall leaf color orange. It's not even blaze, not but even it's blaze. usually the the orange I'm wearing. Yeah. All right, guys, you uh you've both been hunting with traditional for a bit. For people that are wanting to uh, try it out, and uh, we all kind of know the curve on it is not the easiest. If they want to nope. stick with it. Like, give them some motivation. Why Why should they try it out? And if it starts to be hard, why should they keep on going through with it? And maybe some uh, tips, too, if you have them, to keep them going. There's, just, no, way, there's no way to get closer to yeah, the game I mean, you're after and, and, and to be so much a part of that hunt. The, the, n- push, the push says it well with the primal drama. I mean, like, so when I... The do- I mean, I, I screwed up. I didn't end up getting her, but the doe I shot at in 2021, moments before I shot, I heard her eating acorns. Like, that's how close I was to her. So, but, so go ahead. So, I was going to say, it, it's, it's kind of, who was it that said second? I think it was Steve Ranella. I, I, I don't actually listen to the Meat Eater Meat pod. Beater. Yeah. Regardless, he said it's second tier. Wait, do you want a Steve Ranella like impression? Oh, because I'm doing it's it right it? now. You're talking? Yeah. Steve Ranella impression? <laughs> oh, you're talking? <laughs> the meat beater. What? Wait, what? Uh, I don't know about ahead. that. Wait, all right, go ahead now. I'm done. But he, I think it was him. I think because I was, I'm going off of a quote from a friend that quoted, I think him. But I, I do agree with it that it, you know, sometimes it sucks in the moment, but it's long term, long term fun. That's what it is. The things that suck in the moment but end up being fun long term. What, what, what is it? Back, ca- yeah. What Gunny call it? Embrace the suck. No, our our, our buddy Gunny's a marine. What does he call it? Uh, um, um, shit, he's got a term for it. Oh, I don't. I recall you. I recall too. saying. Uh, t- uh, type two fun. Type, type two, two fun. fun. Yeah. Yes. Type, type two fun. It sucks in the moment, but it's awesome a year later. And I don't even want to say back. it all is type two fun, but like sometimes it gets that way. But, I mean, as far as, like, I mean, once you are finally successful, there will never be anything like it. I mean, there's, it, there's it, success one time, you'll, it's hard to go back to anything else. Uh, I mean, because one, one of the things I like about it the most is all the weight is on your shoulders. Literally. And I think, yeah, I think one of the reasons, like, I, I'm kind of a, I don't want to say a jerk, but, like, one of those deals where, like, I struggle going through day-to-day life seeing how many electronic crutches society is developing. 
And I think it's honestly because I've grown up shooting a traditional bow my whole life. So, like, the fact that people can't back up without using a backup camera these days drives me absolutely nuts. Because nobody can do anything without something assisting them. So, like, the fact that shooting a traditional bow is solely required by my own skill set, I absolutely love it. And uh, the the one thing I've noticed a lot in today's world is it seems overly complicated. But you can keep it as simple as you would like. And I would recommend keeping it simple until you've been in it long enough to where tinkering makes sense. This is true. There's a there's a lot of people who take traditional archery and try to make it difficult, and those people are trying to make money off of it. If it's very simple, be repetitive, do the same thing over and over again. Be consistent and be repetitive. And there's traditional archery puts a super big emphasis on getting close to your game. Like I said, I haven't killed anything over ten yards yet. Um now, with that said, this is an East Coast mindset. This is it, yeah. You're, you're, I mean, I'm hunting East from Coast, tree stand. But at the same time, it, it it opened up my woodsmanship. So I went from killing on average twenty yard bucks and and does to less than ten, and it really made me think out my my tree stand placement. It really made me think out my um my tactics, how I was going to approach things where I was going to hunt, bedding areas, um, in between feeding areas and bedding areas, things like that, pitch points. Um, it really makes you approach hunting an animal incredibly different. And it, it's not like, oh, hell. Um, I'm not a, I'm, I'm definitely a better hunter because, because I went down this route because it's harder because I have to get closer. You know what I mean? It forces you into that in that spot. Um man, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. It does. And it's 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 not like uh bow hunting's hard whether it's a compound or a friggin' longbow or recurve, it's hard. It's not easy. Um it's it's harder than 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 hunting with a rifle or whatever or or a cross gun. Um I got. That. I don't know. Thank you. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. It, it, if you want to improve your hunting skills and like you don't get a choice in the matter, you have to. If you want to kill something with this thing, pick up a recurve or a longbow. Yeah. Well, and even if you're not going to hunt with it, just shooting at targets. That first oh, time you shoot like 20 yards and get a baseball group of like three or four arrows, it feels so good. Like, oh jeez, it's, it's so good Dude, to actually I, do it. And then you can Chris go out the next know. hundred arrows and completely have I, I remember ball, but i remember the day i started i had a two by two block target and at 10 feet i couldn't hit it oh and i'm not bullshitting you. i could not hit it i couldn't freaking hit it and, and this it, was it, last week so he's this still was like oh, two weeks ago. <laughs> so it hasn't worn off yet but no no see, i'm like see, uh, you know in all actuality it, it it's not easy yeah and it's like 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 dudes that are like spin casters or bay casters and they're like oh i want to make this harder i'm gonna fly fish and they start fly fishing. They're like, mm, it's not hard enough. I'm gonna tie my own flies. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, oh, like, it's a dangerous. It, path. It, it escalates. Like Next that. thing you know, they got a whole stock of bamboo in their garage, and they're trying to whittle out their own. Exactly, fly rod. There's a bunch of dudes with Osage in their garage. Yeah, it, it's all. It's a hoot, though. I mean, like, there's there's nothing like that'll bring you back to being like a 15 year old kid than than shooting a, a recurve in your backyard. It's fun as hell. Yeah, 
See, I never had to worry about that. Well, because like I said, I started like at two years old with that uh, recurve or longbow or whatever it was. So I, I just kind of grew up shooting the target. So I've had friends that started later like you did. And so you couldn't hit that target at that far. And to me, it was always kind of like foreign until I started doing the hunter ed thing to where I realized there's people that are older that are starting this out and they had, they weren't fortunate like me to grow up from a childhood that you don't even remember at the point where you couldn't hit a target because I'm not that I was good, but like at, let's say like four or five years old, I had been shooting for three years already and I could step back to five steps or six steps and hit the target and work my way back. And by the time my hand and eye coordination was working out, it pretty much was in my blood, like trained into it as I was going. So yeah, don't get disappointed with it was my big thing pretty much. I was about to say, sometimes I, I do not regret the path I've gone down, but like sometimes part of me regrets that I never got the compound side of things just because it would have been cool to know what it was like to make the switch. So just so you know, the compound side of things is a million times more expensive because the bows, if you're going to get like a high end, like custom made recurve or longbow, same price as buying like Hoyt or Matthews. But then everything you stick on that, the sight, the rest, the stabilizer, the arrows, everything on that is so much more expensive. And then if you think that like tuning for a longbow recurve is kind of, you know, like fun, man, I got into like the math and doing things on compounds to where I, I was tweaking things to like a gram like or grain or whatever. Like it was yeah. ridiculous. There's a lot of money you can throw into that and make it. I don't, yeah. I don't disagree that it's more expensive. The issue is, is when you buy two or three bows a year <laughs> See, I've never got to that point you got a better drop than i do holy shit <laughs> no i'm just broke <laughs> <laughs> poor decisions you don't got kids like me then at least you don't just... have the rifle bug though too because then yeah, you get guns and bows and yeah it just yeah chase talked me into so... a suppressor now so now i got that tacked on top of it yeah that, so. that's a bad one I tried to get into flying. You're on a list now. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, and I was gun. It was during COVID, so you know I was I was stuck home, watching YouTube all winter. Like I'm gonna do this fly fishing thing. Try to get a second hobby. And you know I spent all the money getting into it, and then all of a sudden, I, you know, it got warm out, and I started shooting my bow. So now I've just accepted the fact <laughs> that I don't have other hobbies. Because so, once I can shoot my bow, I can shoot my bow. I love fly fishing in the winter. It's the best time to fly fish. Oh, I no, the best time is the summer, but no way, dude. I, Winter's I've, best. I've caught some of the biggest my biggest fish have been caught during the winter. Like, just kick the, ass. I, the eyelids on your fly pole are freezing up as you're casting. Yep. Yes. Like Yeah. There's nothing better than all of a sudden like you're sitting there and you hook up and all the ice starts busting off your pole as that pole doubles over. But no, I. But I try, over here. Even. No, oh, sorry. I, 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 I didn't. Even, <laughs> I didn't even fish that much prior. It was just like a, a brand new thing in general. And it it didn't stick because. I was telling my, so my dad had a little incident with a table saw earlier in the week. So like, he his his bow season's over, because yeah. his. His right hand is a little mangled at the moment. And uh, I was telling my wife, I'm like, I don't even know if I want to stay in the career I'm in. Because, like, 
the potential for that happening to me is high enough. And I'm like, if I wouldn't be able to shoot my bow, I'd be one miserable individual to be with. But at the like, same time, you see all those other guys that are missing arms and everything. Oh, for sure. sure I would find bow. a way. Yeah. Well, like Remy Warren, he just hurt his arm and he's been shooting with the mouth release for the past two years. Well, he didn't he shoot that big bowl? Yeah. He shot, he shot quite Jones a few shot with a mouth release for a long time. Yeah. I mean, you can do it. But that's quite a learning curve to get to that point. I don't want to get to I would myself just prefer, to that I would point. Say, I would just prefer not to have to get yeah. there. <laughs> it's possible, but I don't want to have to use that possibility. Yeah. I don't like being a mechanic that much anyway. So. Yeah. What kind of mechanic are you? Just an automotive? I work for the town, so it's uh, a little bit of everything. Mm. A weed whacker all the way up to an excavator. Dump truck, plow truck, you know, the whole, the whole allotment. An it's engine's great. just an engine. It's just if it's got spark plugs or not. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's not much, but it's honest work, as that meme says. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris, what do you say? Should we turn this into a uh, engine mechanic podcast? Would you like to hear that real quick? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> You'd probably walk all over me. <laughs> I don't know. If it's John Deere or something similar, I could probably talk to you about it. Well, little engines too, but we won't talk yeah, about engines. But- that's oh. not my not my specialty area. I was a Volvo car mechanic before I went to the town. Gross. You could you could you could pull out you missed an opportunity there. John Deere's from Middlebury, Vermont, but I couldn't even have told you that. <laughs> John Deere like original John Deere himself or what? Mm-hmm. Oh. I was gonna say they're in Iowa in Illinois and I think they got it, as far as I know, John Deere started in Middlebury, Vermont. We'll Google that real quick. I was about to uh, Good Google for you. I don't care that much about it, so you can have that one. I John just know they Deere. pay me good. Oh, Grand Detour. Oh, uh, Rutland. Rutland, sorry. My bad. Rutland. He was over there with you guys, though? What's that? He was over there at you guys, though? Like, John Deere himself is from... Rutland, Vermont. Vermont. Okay. Look at you. You know more about John Deere than I do. I he... knew more about Vermont than Schaefer did. He That's just okay. I don't, I don't really like this state anyways. <laughs> I'll get out of it one day. I keep saying that, but it will happen. I know born in in Pennsylvania, so how's that? How's that? Is that give me anything? So if you guys Nothing? could, so if you guys could live anywhere, where would you live? Pennsylvania. <laughs> he actually it's likes terrible here. Knows. Don't come here. Wait, have you been to Hershey? How bad does it actually smell? Is it as bad as they say? Hershey. Hershey. No, it's not bad. No. I was, I was, I, told I, I mean, like Hershey's shit, like, then. Hershey's like all ag and, and, uh, it's a, it's a small town, like surrounded by agriculture. It's not bad though. I mean, it's, it, I just heard the chocolate plant made it stink. Uh, majority of their chocolate production is like not there anymore. Mm. You pulled out your leather yeah, and it made kinda... me do it. A little ADD going What's right that? there. I said, you pulled out your leatherman and my ADD kicked in and I had to do it too. I didn't even realize I did it. Yeah, I get, I get oh, played man, my leatherman's not even in my um, pouch. No, no, no. PA, PA's. I don't know if you get down that area, Hershey, Lancaster, um, all those areas. It's just a lot of agriculture, and, and it's, it's a pretty area. There's the towns are cool, Lidditz is cool, um, but where where I'm at is all rural. I don't like to call them mountains because I don't think anything succeed or exceeds um, eighteen hundred feet, but you have large hills. We're, 
we're 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 in a really cool area with a lot of big hills. I whenever Hunting's I go terrible. to Pennsylvania, I always I always thoroughly enjoy my time in Pennsylvania. If I could choose anywhere, though, I've always I've never been out west. I love the looks of out west. I I did I did the out west thing. It was it was, it was fantastic. It was great. I, but I feel like I don't like winter enough to move out west, though. The, that that's a big issue. Yeah. How cold do you guys get in the winter time? Like, are you staying above zero most of the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. These days, yeah. Tens, twenties. Is the Must coldest. Be nice. Yeah, no, that's why I'm saying I would love to move out west, but six six months of winter is bad enough. Yeah, I've hunt, coyote hunted this last winter several days in negative thirty. I was I, I was I spent a night in Brosman when it was like negative nineteen. See, that doesn't even count because they're south too. They're kind of in the banana belt by Billings, like up here. Right. So, my parents' place. We had one winter when I when I was still living there, so still in high school. Where he went three weeks straight without breaking zero degrees. Blah. The uh, when I drove down to Chris's to go to Kalamazoo that first year, I had a, I think it was either a fifty or a seventy degree temperature swing. Because when I left my apartment, I was driving through Vermont in negative twenty three. And by the time I got to Michigan, I think it was fifty. Yes. So yeah, seventy three degree swing. In one day, it was brutal. My, that is my a biggest lash. My biggest one was we went snow goose hunting. We left North Dakota at like noon or whatever, and it was cold. Like we were bundled up, car hurts and everything. And we drove all the way down to Nebraska Oklahoma border, and we got out, and it was like sixty some degrees. So we went from like I think it was like thirties car hurts and everything to seventy degrees. God, that was the biggest swing I'd ever felt. We went yeah. to like. We were stripped down to like shirts off, almost in our underwear. We were so hot and sweating. Yeah, that was probably the most deer I've ever seen on a trip too. That was absurd. That Where was first that trip to me? Maine uh, or it's Michigan? In, it's in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Michigan. Okay. But just the amount of deer we saw in Michigan was absurd. Yeah, send everybody to Michigan. Maybe they can That's make right. Detroit something good again. They got a lot of small deer. Now, you guys said at the beginning it's weird being on this side of it. Do you guys have any questions for us? Something about out west or anything? What's the most affordable out-of-state tag? Go to North Dakota. Yeah, I think it's two... I can't remember. I only paid $200 for a archery whitetail tag. Well, that's not bad. No. Yeah. I, know, and, I think they were talking about Colorado, but... I think I heard that like antelope was a good way to break the ice and antelope is the, the best Western. way to break the ice because you can do because like you guys haven't done spot and stock very much, so you get a hundred attempts as many attempts as you want to mess up, you can just spot and stock all day. Yeah, as that, that's basically what the guy said. You will always see them. You will probably never get close enough to shoot one. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that was essentially the guy's tip. And what's nice about like out east here with antelope, everyone hates fucking antelope. Oh, sorry. I don't know if we're allowed to cast or not. But, uh, yeah, so any to. farmer, rancher you go talk to that has antelope on his property, he's like, oh, you, yeah, you can hunt, but you can't shoot one. You have to shoot, like, six or seven. Get rid of them. Prairie <laughs> there's, there's a stipend. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> if you want to shoot one, you have to shoot multiple. But, like, that's how it is out here. So, for antelope, it's an easy one to get into. But I think 
Our out of state, our antelope out of state tags aren't very bad. I think they're only like two hundred bucks too. But to cut it off, I think you'd be better like going to Nebraska or something like that. It'd be closer to you guys, depending on if you're flying. If you're driving, it'll cut some hours off. But anything, just, anything that's not Montana. Well, you can come to Montana. Just don't come to my area. We don't have good antelope up here, anyways. You want to go? No, south we of us. actually do not have good antelope. Uh, actually, they're here, but they're if not. If you great. want a great antelope hunt, uh, Fort Peck Reservation yep. has an antelope tag. I think they're five hundred bucks. I don't know. I they're don't more know. expensive than our in-state tags, but you can hunt all the tribal land. And it's pretty there much like is actually state land. there is great antelope hunting down on the res. But yeah, if you're wanting to come out west, if you can, I mean, there's a lot of states that have antelope. Nebraska, Kansas, South Dakota, North Dakota. North Dakota is weird about their antelope. Montana, Colorado, Wyoming, all of it. Nevada, all that stuff. Antelope's a great way to, if you've never spotted and stocked, you can get as many stocks as you're willing to put in in that day. Because if you yep. mess one up, drive five miles down the road, find another group of antelope, try to sneak up on them. But... It's really hard because they've got amazing eyes, and there's they're usually in herds, so it's a lot of them. So it'll really, really improve you, even if you've done it for a while. It's a great way to practice yourself up for a deer. That makes sense. Yeah, oh, and just get. I got, a, I got a ways to go. I've never been past Indiana, so <laughs> you got a little ways to go. Well, yeah. I mean, not too far. Indiana. I mean, you get to West Side of South Dakota from Indiana, which that two states crossed: Iowa and then South Dakota. Or Nebraska, too. Sounds reasonable-ish. The only time I was down there to see the John Deere plants when I was in college. Other than that, we usually stayed west of that area. Indiana, Illinois, Iowa. Oh, so it's one of them three. It's way over on the east side of them three. Thank You're dang near in uh, Ohio, then. Yeah. You may Ohio's as well just stay there. Jesus. It goes Ohio, Indiana, Illinois... Iowa, Nebraska. It's been a while since I've looked at my uh, geography. Holy. Can't even say the word. Well, I'm just a dumb mechanic. (laughs) I went to automotive school in Ohio, so that says something. Your elementary teachers would be very proud of you right now. Freaking stellar. (laughs) How about you, Chris? You got any questions? I'm good. Hmm. Chris is getting the heavy eyes already. I can see that. We're going on 11 o'clock here. Oh, yeah, You're I pushing suppose. 11. I My see. bedtime's 10. I forgot. I forgot you guys were out there. All right. We'll close her out then. We'll let you go to bed. So <laughs> thank I'm you proud. I'm, I'm up later than Chris doing better. This is a first. <laughs> Do you guys have any closing words or anything you want to say before you go to bed? No, guys. Thanks uh, for having us. I was about to say thanks for having us. I mean, if you want to listen to our beautiful podcast, it's called The Broken Arrow podcast well the broken arrow traditional bow hunting podcast on the insta spam we got a facebook group no website we're not that fancy keeping it simple kiss baby yep exactly well thank you guys for uh coming on sorry for keeping you so late i really forgot oh, no about the time change so i got you out of here a little bit sooner um Good luck this season if we don't hear from you. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, same Absolutely. you guys. Thanks good for having us. Have fun. Yep, you guys Chris have a good just night. said everything I was going to say. Perfect. <laughs> All have right. a good one. Yep, bye.